Who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? Is he a great man? Great moral teacher? Maybe a magician, somebody good at illusions. Maybe he's a con artist. Maybe he was schizophrenic. I mean, really, you have to be really crazy to say you're God. Maybe he was just a fruitcake. Or maybe he was the God of the universe. This isn't a new question, folks. From the day Jesus first started walking and teaching in Israel almost 2,000 years ago, This is the question people have been asking. There was a time, and it's described in the Gospels, a crowd had gathered for his teaching. He finished teaching, and then there's rumblings. Who is this guy? Some said, oh, he's Elijah, raised from the dead. And others said, no, you know, John the Baptist, who Herod beheaded, this is John the Baptist raised from the dead. And others said, no, this guy is crazy. And as they're walking off, Jesus turns to his 12 guys, his apostles, and he says to them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, ever the impulsive, ever the the guy to step out, said, Lord, you're the Messiah. You're God. And Jesus looked at him and basically said, yes, you're right. I am God. And since that confession of Peter 2,000 years ago, literally billions of people around this globe have come to the conclusion after examining the evidence that Jesus was God. As we sit here today in a world of 7 billion people, approximately 3 billion people on this globe have concluded that Jesus truly was God. But you know what? None of those people matter. Because only one person matters, and that is, who do you say that he is? Now, I have an invitation here. If you've never made a decision on that question, please feel free to journey with us. You're in a safe place. You see, I didn't even start looking at that question until I was 37 years old. And as I began to read the Bible and study and come to church, it took me over a year to finally come to the conclusion that Jesus was God. And so you have the time to answer that question. But only you can answer. It doesn't matter what those three billion people have said. And now I want to say a word to you young folks. If you're sitting in here and you're 18 and under and you're living with your parents, please listen to me. This is a decision your parents can't make for you. You have to decide. And what I want to encourage you to do is read your Bible, pray, come to Rock Hills, because our commitment to you is we're going to teach the Bible. We're going to give you information on which you can make an informed decision. As an example, one of the points today in our message is going to be that Jesus is God. So before we get to that, let's start with a word of prayer. Father, I'm so grateful that you have not left us without guidance. You've given us your word. So, Father, please, 
please would you guide us through your word. And, and I'm also encouraged at this moment when this is such a weighty topic, Father, I know that you are here because you promise, Jesus promised that where two or more are gathered in my name, you are there also. So you are here, Father. And so please, Father, since you are here, would you speak and let me get out of the way so that your word and your truth can go forth and accomplish what you desire in the hearts and the lives of my friends here at Rock Hills. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Pastor Adam said, today we're starting a new series in the book of Hebrews. I love this book. There is so much here that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks. And here's our commitment to you. We are going to give you teaching from this book that will enrich your faith, if you have a faith in Jesus. It will help you make that decision if you haven't decided yet. But also, it will give you practical applications to help your everyday life. And so I hope you will make a point of being here for the next five weeks, because I'm so excited about what God's going to do through this great series. Now, today, since we're starting in the book of Hebrews, and our series is Hebrews, the Complete Work of Christ, I want to give you just a little bit of an overview about this book. Now, I keep saying it's a book. It's really a letter, the letter uh, to the Hebrew people. You see, about 30-some-odd years after Jesus was crucified, was resurrected, and ascended to heaven, a Jewish man who had become a Christian decided to write a letter to the Hebrew people. And his motive was simply based upon the sheer facts of the reality of the Jewish faith. You see, people of the Jewish faith had been scattered around the world. There were millions of Jews, but only a small fraction actually lived in Israel. And of those people who lived in Israel, only some of those people had actually, with their own two eyes, observed Jesus, or with their own two ears, heard him speak and teach. And so he decided, this Jewish Christian, to write this letter. A lot of people think it's the Apostle Paul. No one's really sure, because he doesn't name himself. But his motive is to say, look, I need to tell you what I've seen. Because he understood the Jewish faith. For 1,500 years, they had been following what we call the Old Testament. If you take your Bible and look at it, almost three-quarters of that Bible is what we call the Old Testament, the old Jewish scriptures. And so they were very familiar with that. In fact, part of their upbringing was to memorize huge portions of the Old Testament. And so what he was going to do in the book of Hebrews was take many of the old scripture from the Old Testament and demonstrate that Jesus really was the Messiah. And this is called sometimes the book of better or superior things because they were waiting for the Messiah and they were expecting a human Messiah. And what he wanted to show, the writer of Hebrews, was that Jesus was actually the God of the universe. And he was going to use the Old Testament scriptures to prove that. And so we're going to look at chapter 1 of Hebrews. If you have your devices, your Bibles, please open them to the book of Hebrews. It's toward the end of the New Testament. And we're going to look at the chapter 1. We're going to read the first nine verses together. And I think we're going to have those verses on the screen. And it goes like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, 
whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he had inherited is superior to others. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he said, Make his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And so here we are, chapter 1 of Hebrews. And and there are several points I'm going to make during the next few minutes, but there's two primary points I want you to leave with, and I think we have these listed. Number one, Jesus is God, and he paid our debt. And number two, Jesus is our king. You see, for 1,500 years, the people of Israel had been waiting for the Messiah. At this time in the nation of Israel, as you probably know, right around the first century A.D., Rome ruled the entire world. And they were an oppressive and harsh and brutal ruler of the world. And Israel just suffered under this rule of of Rome. And so the Jews had been hoping and praying that the Messiah would come because as they understood the Old Testament... He was going to be a king, a person like King David. He was going to ascend to the throne, and he was going to conquer the Roman, the Roman Empire and bring Jerusalem and the Jews back to the ruling of the world. That was their understanding. And so right from the start, the writer of Hebrews had to inform them that that wasn't exactly the way it was going to happen. Yes, Jesus was king. Yes, he was going to be on the throne but it was going to be an eternal kingdom because Jesus was God. And so over and over, the very first priority of this writer was to let the Jews, the Hebrews around the world, know that Jesus was God. And so let's look at the first chapter again. We'll go a little bit more slowly. Through that lens, Jesus is God. And so he starts, the writer, in the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see, if you look at this Old Testament that we have, a great deal of it was written by the prophets. The Jews, the people of Israel, esteemed the prophets. They loved the prophets because back in centuries past... The prophets were these religious and wonderful men of God who communicated with God. And when God communicated with these prophets, they would record that communication. And there's 17 prophets in what we call the Old Testament. Men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and on and on. 17 of them. 
And they recorded their communication with God. And as you can imagine, the people of Israel were so grateful for that. They finally had guidance and teaching from the God of the universe. And so they elevated these prophets to an amazing status. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying right away is we have something better than the prophets. Remember, this is the book of superior or better things, something superior to the prophets. We actually have God himself because God in the form of the Son came to earth and now we have communication directly from him. So the first way that he's hammering home this point that the Messiah was actually God. Jesus was God and better than the prophets. Let's continue. Spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Now, obviously a man can't make the universe. There has to be a place for the man to live in. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying once again, is the Messiah is the God of the universe. And this echoes John chapter 1, the gospel of John. You, you may remember those words. To me, they're some of the most beautiful words in our faith, some of the most beautiful words in the Bible. I actually memorized the chapter, first chapter of John because I love it so much. And it goes like this. In the beginning was the word, and the word is just another uh, name for Jesus, by the way. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So the word, Jesus, is with God, and he is God. And then it says this, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And so the writer of Hebrews is echoing those beautiful words in John that Jesus called the universe into existence. He is the creator. He made our universe. He is, in fact, God. Let's continue on. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you ever wonder what God is like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. He's the exact representation of God's being, and we're going to come back to that in a minute. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Have you ever wondered why the universe just doesn't just fall apart? Why the planets don't just drop out of the sky? Why our bodies don't fall apart? Something is holding everything together. And what this is saying is that something is Jesus. This echoes the, the words that Paul wrote in Colossians 1.17, and I think we have that verse here. Paul is talking about what Jesus does in the universe, and he says, he is before all things. In him, all things hold together. He seems to be saying that Jesus holds everything together including our bodies. And what's interesting is science has progressed because we now have electron microscopes. We can take pictures and view the tiniest, tiniest molecules and cells. Question is, when I go like this, why doesn't this Bible stick to my hand? Why, why doesn't it stay connected? 
Well, why should our body stay connected? What, what connects the molecules of our body? Why don't they fly apart? Why don't our tissue fly apart? And the answer is, there's a molecule called laminin. It's a protein molecule. And scientists have discovered it is a connecting molecule. It helps connect the tissue in your body. And not too long ago, they were able to photograph this molecule for the first time. And if you go on the internet, you will see a picture of the molecule laminin, and it looks something like this. This is a diagram of it. It is a cross, folks. What connects our body, what holds it together, what sustains everything and holds everything together is literally Jesus Christ, the God of the universe. Then chapter 1 goes on and it says, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You see, this would have been immediately recognized by all the Hebrews around the world in this letter to the Hebrews. Because the book of Leviticus is an entire book about purification. And in the book of Leviticus, it talks about all the various sacrifices that purify you from sin. And the the overarching context of Leviticus is about the character of God, about his passion for his holiness and his righteousness. You see, all of us have disobeyed God. All of us have broken his commands. And in the book of Leviticus, God says, because of my holiness, because of my righteousness, I can't just sweep that under the rug. I cannot just let that go. The punishment has to be administered. The debt has to be paid. But in the book of Leviticus, he says, you know what? But I also love you. And so what we're going to do is sacrifice animals so that you can begin to get an understanding of how passionate I am about disobedience and how it must be paid for. And so there was all kinds of sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, but there was a special one on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. And this is described in Leviticus chapter 16. And the idea is once a year, the priest had to go into the Holy of Holies and put the blood sacrifice that atoned for the sins of Israel for the entire year. And this is what, how it's described. He, meaning the high priest, shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. And what we're going to see as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews is this theme is carried out that Jesus made purification for our sins once and for all. That when he died on the cross, his death was sufficient to pay for every human being for all time. No more blood sacrifices were needed on the Day of Atonement. And so you can see that here as the writer of Hebrews says, sorry, that he made purification for sins. After he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. Jesus had an assignment down here to make purification for sins. 
And then after his ascension, he now sits on his throne in heaven. Now, a bunch of these verses after this were uh, references to the Old Testament as this writer was proving through the Old Testament scripture that Jesus was God. There, there are uh, references here to Psalm 2, to 2 Samuel, to Deuteronomy 32, to Psalm 104, to Psalm 45. And there, right at the end in verse 8, Psalm 45 is quoted. And it says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. That's our second point in this message. Jesus is God and paid our debt. That's number one. Jesus is our king. I have to confess to you, I, especially as a new Christian, I struggled with that. We're not used to... We're, not, we're just not used to a kingship, someone having authority over us. I have a problem with authority. I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but part of it was because of my dad, and, and many of you know the difficult relationship I had with my dad. He was a military guy, and he was an alcoholic, and he ruled with an iron fist. You did not ask questions of my dad. And every now and then, I think about three or four times, I made the mistake before I could stop myself. My dad would say something, and I'd say, why, dad? And it was... Bam! He just hit me as hard as he could, usually knocking me down. His answer would be, because I said so. And he seemed to take great delight in being arrogant and overbearing. And so when I first became a Christian, and I saw that God was the king, and I was to bow down to him, That just rubbed me the wrong way, but now I want to go back. Because remember I said that Jesus is the exact representation of God? Think about the character of Jesus. Jesus came to earth, and the night before he was crucified, the night before he died for your sins and my sins, what did he do? He took his 12 friends, and he says, I long for you to understand what it is to be a servant. And I'm going to show you what that looks like. And he washed their feet. I can't even imagine another human being having the humility to do that, much less the God of the universe. And and remember when he caught the woman in adultery. Jesus stood there, and and I expected condemnation. My My whole perception of the God of the universe is he was a scowling, grumpy God, who had his arms crossed, and his whole joy in existence was to look around and see somebody having fun and put a stop to it. That was my perspective on God. But what did Jesus do when he caught the woman in adultery? He said, I don't condemn you. Just go and sin no more. And and when he was being crucified, he was naked and hurting, and they were spitting on him and laughing at him. Prayed for them. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And as I reflect on the character of the God of the universe, I'm so tired of running my own life. God is so wise, He's so loving. Now I say, yes, my king, please. There's a moment in the Lord of the Rings when Aragon, that great warrior, finds a rightful king and he lays his sword before him. He says, I give you everything, my king. Please command me. That is the way I now feel before God. God, please, whatever I am, whoever I am, 
please command me because you alone are good. You alone are wise. And Jesus promised in John 15, 11, these words are just so sweet to my ears. He said, I give you my commands so that if you obey them, my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. Complete joy, folks. That's what he's offering. Why would you not want him to be your king? And so those are the two points for today. Jesus is God. He paid our debt, and Jesus is our king. And now the question, what? So what? What are you going to do about it? I mean, that's nice head knowledge, right? Do you believe him when Jesus said, I give you these commands, and if you follow them, my joy will be in you, and your joy will be complete? Why not make a commitment to start following his commands? That could take a lot of different ways, a lot of different directions. But my suggestion today, since since Adam has introduced a 30-day challenge, why not join that 30-day challenge? For the next 30 days, spend time in prayer. For the next 30 days, spend time in the Bible. See what God has for you. Perhaps join a a service team here. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. Why don't you try to experience that? Come here and serve. If you join a service team, it's one Sunday a month, just one day a month. Surely you can do that and enjoy the, the blessing of serving. Take this knowledge that Jesus is a good king and do something about it. Join our 30-day challenge. You know, earlier in the message, I had a word for the young folks in here. Now I have a word for the parents. You see, we do, I believe, a wonderful job of giving your kids great substance for their faith. Base camp, vertical, our, our uh, junior high, and, and integrate our, our high school ministry. But ultimately, God says, you have responsibility for raising your kids. And I want to tell you something. This culture, this culture that we live in, it is offering your kids gods. You know what they are. The God of money and material things. Our culture is saying, hey kids, if you have enough money, if you have enough stuff, you're going to be happy and satisfied. Our culture is offering your kids the God of sex. If you have enough sex with enough different people, you're going to be satisfied. Our culture is offering your kids the God of substances, drugs, and alcohol. What God are you guiding them to? Take this responsibility. There was a time in Israel's past, since we're talking about the Old Testament, Moses had died, and Joshua had taken over as the leader of Israel. And they had just gotten into the promised land, but they'd spent 40 years traveling around. They'd been exposed to a lot of different peoples and a lot of different gods. And now they're going into the promised land, and he saw there was confusion. What were the people going to follow? And in Joshua 24, 15, this is how it describes that moment. And it says this, and, and Joshua is talking, and he says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, Then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served, 
beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Folks, I'm a blessed guy. I've got a daughter and a son, and they're, they're living here, and they're following the Lord. And you know my past. I've been an atheist. I, I've, I've indulged in so much of this world. I've seen how empty those other gods are. I'm married to a beautiful woman who loves God. And what we have decided, we have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And as we go down that road, sometimes it's difficult. We long to have friends on that journey of following Jesus. But you know what? We can't decide for you. You have to decide for yourself. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus made purification for our sins. That's the gospel. He made the price, and if we put our faith in him, then we are reconciled to you, Father. And And I pray if there's anyone here who has never done that, that they might do that today. Put their faith in Jesus. Father, as we about to take a partake of communion, it just reminds me once again of the blood that Jesus shed. Father, may we always remember that's a weighty moment, but a joyful moment, that he paid the price and defeated death. Thank you for this time, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.